0: Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. So you know that I often like to start this. Actually, before I do that, I'm going to give you a chance to talk to each other. I was going to make a confession, but now you can just sit on the edge of your seats waiting for it. I have a question for you. Uh, It might be a hard question. Maybe you've never thought about it before. This is an invitation. Maybe you don't have a serious answer. It's all okay. But I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them, if you could choose what your tombstone read, what would it say? Go ahead. Have a conversation. Thank you, everyone. We don't give you long for all of you that feel awkward talking to strangers. We like to make this part nice and quick. (laughs) Thank you. You did your homework ahead of time. (laughs) All right, now the confession. If there is one story in the New Testament that makes me want to hurl a shoe at Jesus, it is this one, all right? It is like this tale of two sisters has lived in me like an unwanted Enneagram label since before I can remember. The story of Mary, the woman who gets to sit at Jesus' feet, listening and doting and learning, and then Mary, who fusses about so that the Son of God doesn't have to sit on the kid's Lego. I have always been a Martha. I'm the Lego girl. It took me six months to invite my beloved colleagues here over to my house for dinner because I was self-conscious that I didn't have a dining room table and people were going to have to eat on their laps and all my forks are bent uppity because my cutlery drawer is very full and I never close it properly. I wanted things to be perfect for them. This is hospitality, is it not? So Martha has always resonated with me. Wasn't it? the gift of hospitality that she was offering to Jesus? Wasn't she in the kitchen preparing this beautiful meal so they could eat together? Wasn't she honoring him by making sure that everything was just so? If you are a people pleaser or a recovering people pleaser, there's a part of you that probably also identifies with Martha. Why is it that some people are so comfortable just showing up? when others feel like they have to earn the place. We have a special guest here this morning who I've mentioned, who I'll introduce to you in a brief moment. But as John and I were were preparing for this conversation, I looked at the lectionary. That's the string of texts that the uh, Universal Church likes to suggest that maybe we read if we don't feel like going through and finding our own. We are in good company when we read these texts together on a Sunday morning. And the Mary and Martha text popped up. I've always had my own thoughts about this text, but in light of the conversation John and I were planning on having, this text sparked something new in me. I noticed something that I had never noticed before. So much of this story that I thought was there in the scripture ceased to exist. I had written the narrative in my head based on my own fears and my own insecurities, as we often do. We fill in the blanks. I imagined Jesus coming to the door and Mary being like, oh, yay! And Martha being like, oh, no, I gotta go, right? Like, Jesus is coming, look busy. I imagined Mary ignoring Martha's pleas for help and Martha scurrying around trying to hide the dust bunnies. I imagined that Martha was busying herself in the name of Jesus. But that is not what Luke says. Luke says, Martha welcomed Jesus, she answered the door, and then was distracted by her many tasks. The text does not say she was preparing for Jesus. The text says she was distracted from Jesus because she was going about her everyday motions. There's a refrain that we hear over and over again in our Gospels, wake up. Pay attention. Open your eyes. Open your hearts. Fix your eyes on that which is so much greater than the things of this world. Fix your eyes on that which is eternal. And the living into this call is one of our greatest challenges as Christian people. How do we live lives in the hope of resurrection, kingdom lives, in the midst of the reality of our society, the onslaught of messaging about what capitalism would have us value, the politics that can rob us of our humanity, the violence that threatens some of our very existence, the choices being made for us, not by us. It is no wonder that Martha was looking to distract herself. The reality of what we are facing in our lives is extremely uncomfortable, and then we die. It is easier for me to organize my cutlery drawer than it is to contemplate eternal life in the midst of all of this. And yet that is not what our scripture is inviting us to do, nor are our lives extending that invitation. Over the years, we have villainized Martha in a way, the busybody who couldn't make time for what really mattered. There is an element of this in the story. After all, Jesus says that Mary makes the right choice here. But for years, Martha is the one that has resonated with women around the world as fulfilling her calling, the vocational homemaker. So much so, that in the 12th century in France, a legend of Martha started going around. Martha, the dragon tamer. Carvaggio depicts her in some of his work. There's a stained glass window in the south of France that depicts this legend. Martha, barefoot, purple robe flowing dragon in the background. Martha, not the archetypal knight But a woman who knew how to work hard and keep house, conquered a dragon by taming it, no less. So I wonder, as someone that loves story, if the creators of this legend actually took this conversation in Luke's gospel with Jesus as the crux of that transformation of self. Maybe this conversation with Jesus was what freed her to see outside of her home to live into a different and more eternal kind of legacy. One of... The very beautiful things about having a church community like this one is that we get to know so many different and beautiful and fascinating individuals who we might not cross paths with if we didn't all sit here together on a Sunday morning. So, a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to put you on the spot, Russell. A couple of weeks ago, Russell, every, everyone waved to Russell. If you don't know Russell, this is Russell. <laughs> Russell sent me an email and was like, Hey, my mom's coming to town. And like, you probably would think she's cool. Different words, those are my words, but that's, I read between the lines. So Russell introduced me to Krista, who is here with us this morning, and Krista is a death educator. She is a funeral director. She has a company called Death's Apprentice, and she works with people to discuss end-of-life care. She has a monthly uh, conversation that is hosted on CBC Radio that I highly recommend you check out. But she is also passionate about helping people live their legacy while they are alive. Instead of waiting... For the legend to be born of our story, if we are so lucky for someone to tell our story. I just saw Hamilton the other night, so that's where that line came from. If we are so lucky, instead, what would it mean to create that legacy in the moment consciously and intentionally? And so I'm going to invite Krista and John to come up for a conversation around this very theme. What are the important things to wake up to while we still have the chance? And how can we shift our focus in the midst of all that's going on in our lives to these so that we not only flourish in our lived lives, but rest thereafter? I'm going to move this out of the way, Krista. I'm going to hand you this. Everyone, please... Welcome, Krista.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Okay, Am I allowed to move this? Take this off? Yeah, take that off. I can take this off. Okay. Uh, we had a chance to chat the other day in a coffee shop, and uh, I was thinking about this. I'll just let this hang at the back here. Um, <laughs> just as this reminder. We're casual um, so here. But when people get a chance to ask me a question, often they'll say, why do you do what you do? And so my question is, why do you do what you do? And what do you do? Yeah, (laughs) and like a little bit about your call and what you do do.
1: Absolutely. So I am, as you mentioned, I'm a death educator. I often joke that um, my first career was in hospitality and my second career was in education. So, what else are you going to do with your third career but become a funeral director, right? <laughs> uh, actually, hospitality, as we talked about today, hospitality is the act of um, anticipating needs and of um, thinking ahead and creating comfort and creating, making people not even know what they need and just having it for them, and I, I loved that career education came to me because I hated working while everybody else was playing. I hated that and I had kids and I was like I'm not gonna do this anymore so I went into to teaching except I ended up becoming a non-teaching administrator and I was, uh, I was a college director for a really for the largest international college in Canada and during that time John I kept... We, it was big and so just demographically we had deaths every year And as the head of the college, I was the face of the person who had to meet the families when the deaths occurred. And I had no training. And it was one of, it was 14 of the hardest things I have ever done. And every time I met a funeral director, I would always think to myself either, what a jerk. (laughs) Upselling, ugly suit wearing, coffin peddling jerk. (laughs) Or I would think, good Lord, I would like to be that person. I would like to be that person who can walk and guide and, and be present at this, the worst time of someone's life. And so <laughs> at nearly 50, I, I did, for years I had been looking into it, and every year it was uh, give up your very high paying job, go back to school for two years, give up your corner office, give up your provincially appointed board membership. Give give up, give up, give up. Oh, and give up your salary. Did I mention that? And become an apprentice at nearly 50. And I just was like, no, 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 no. And then finally one day, I just thought, this is ridiculous. This keeps calling. It is literally a calling for me. And I just thought I could either be that person who's like, I would have been a great quarterback, or (laughs) I could just darn well try it. So I did it, and but I got into the. I I decided to become a funeral director so that I could revolutionize the industry, because we're not doing it right. We're not doing it right, and so I am still a licensed funeral director in the province of British Columbia, and an embalmer for that matter. So anyone has any weird questions, I can take those too. But I, um, I actually day to day, I'm an educator, Mm. and and I'm still very. I'm still still a bit of a Martha too.
0: You, nice. s- you said, um, do it right. And there's a phrase that's been going around for a while that I've I've heard pop up, which is the good death. But I've also heard you push back a little bit about this. So what is doing it right, and what, how do you like to refer to that part of our end-of-life journey?
1: It's a good thing I'm not standing, because there would be, like, brimstone right now. Like, <laughs> I, I really rail against the concept of the good death. Yeah. Um, it is... Um, there is a privilege, um, it is elite, there is there is something beyond, um, that. it's probably about 10 years old, um, because the death positive movement is about 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggle with it immensely, and I understand that's probably what we all want, but think of the people that so many of us work with or serve in our day-to-day life, who might not have a good life, and are how are, how are we just supposed to say good death all of a yeah. sudden? Um, also, it, it's hierarchical, and it reminds me a lot of the concept that was placed on women like back in the 70s, like the good birth, right? And that you were only having a good birth if you were having a non-medicated vaginal delivery with like incense in the background or whatever. <laughs> no, there's a, ho- like no, it's not okay, and, and a good death isn't okay to me either. A peaceful death, however, is something that I would wish for literally everyone, and a death that um, is perhaps foreseen is something that I would wish for everyone, but it's not what we get. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Mm. So I'll, we'll talk a little bit about how someone might go about having or feeling like they might have a peaceful death. Um, but. I wonder if we connect this to the idea of legacy, living your legacy is a phrase I've heard you use. What is a legacy to you, and how is that connected?:
1: I was prepared for these questions, and <laughs> still.
0: <laughs> um, so legacy
1: is something that I genuinely believe each and every one of us has, carries with us and can enact every single day. Legacy. Is something that so many of us think of as the gift of the thing, all right? So it's a gift to the church, or it's your name on on the side of a hospital wing, or it's, you know, dividing your estate amongst your many children and grandchildren, that's part of legacy. Mm -hmm. But we all have an emotional legacy, and that legacy can be positive, or it can be negative. There are societal legacies, the legacies of trauma, the legacies of addiction, the legacies of um, racism. So, so these, are, these are all the many legacies that, that, so that we don't kind of have front and center, in no small part because of a kind of the capitalist structure of our society. We think only um, of people, I often hear people say, oh I don't, I don't need a will, I don't really have anything. Mm. Not true. Absolutely not true. So so to live your legacy, we'll, we'll probably do that a little later, right? But to, but to, to living your legacy is something that you can um, come to, embrace, embed within, deep within yourself, so that through your day-to-day interactions, you can just have it like a filter, check in. Is this... My legacy
0: Thank you
2: I think uh, or my hope is one of the things that 's um, great about a church is that it talks a lot about life, but it also welcomes the discussion of death and also welcomes us to honor the fact that that 's what happens to everybody, and so that that story being part of the uh, life, how do we live, and then how do we die is so important. And I, I think that is both a religious and spiritual question. So how does faith fit into your uh, life experience? Is it part of your experience or not? And how does it connect to your work?
1: I love that question. Um, I was so moved and I thought, if I can get through this without crying, I'm, uh, hats off to me, my friends. <laughs> and so now here's the part where I might, I might not make it all the way through, but I feel very at home in the United Church. And I wasn't raised as a Christian and in my um, very early actually while I was bearing my eldest child was when I became suddenly and irrevocably aware of the presence of the God of Mm. the divine like right then (laughs) right in the middle of it and it is so incredibly moving for me to be here with my eldest child in this space. Right now, I raised Russell in United Church in Vancouver, and these, this message of love and peace and giving and connection is something that, is just, that just resonates so deeply for me. I am absolutely a woman of faith. Mm-hmm. I struggle with certain aspects of religiosity. To the second p- part of your question, though, I did it, I didn't cry. <laughs> um, the second part of your question, though, um, religion, when I serve families who have faith, who have a faith structure to embed their rituals, their mourning rituals in, I always feel like I just want to stand on mountaintops and shout like, these guys are lucky, these folks are so lucky, this is what it can do for you. And the thing is, 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 I mean, if you see the census data and whatnot, we are moving away from from faith. We are in droves, and so often in a in a funeral home setting, I would I would uh, serve someone who had sort of no structure, no faith base. They and and maybe they knew that their mom, for example, was religious or went to church or something like that, but they haven't and they didn't and they don't know what to do. But they and they they will say things like, "What?" do I do?" And then you get someone in who has... Um, uh, I used to serve in a really multicultural um, funeral home and so I was so blessed to go to Japanese um, Shinto services or or Chinese Buddhist services or just Italian Catholic services or, or whatnot and people knew what to do and they had a frame and you know what, that helps us that helps us because it, as you say John, it actually it, it welcomes a conversation about death, about end of life, it doesn't hide it. And it gives us something to keep us vertical during what are absolutely going to be the hardest days of our lives. No matter who has died, no matter if mum who was nine years in a care home and didn't speak for the last seven of them, or your beloved child, it, it doesn't matter, these are the hardest days of your life. Yeah. And this, this structure, can be what you hang onto during the hardest days of your lives. Hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that ritual is, is in everybody. And we do so many rituals unspoken in this worship service, hey? And those rituals are what we will draw on at that time. That's so important.
1: As a a, um, little plug for an app called Be Ceremonial, um, but it actually tries to help address the 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 secularization. And and there's like ways to embed ritual, Mm. but for those of us who don't have it and don't know it and don't practice it in this quiet way every week, we can be very lost. Yeah. Yeah. Very lost.
0: And people don't know they need it until they don't have it.
1: Oh, and we'll talk about that. You need it.
0: So I guess my, do you have another question, John? No, you go. Okay. Um, So you have some practical questions, statements, things that we can walk about asking ourselves or thinking about or paying attention to that actually lead us in a life of legacy, lead us towards this peaceful death that you speak of. Um, What are some of those things?
1: All right, um, I, I do this, and um, I, it, it's actually saved me. I, I had an interaction, an altercation, a couple of weeks ago at my local grocery store, and somebody sort of butted in line, and I started like the ego me just started to get big, and 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 uh, there was a, like, and it kind of, and then all of a sudden I. Took a really deep breath and these four questions like ran through my head and I just faded back and and it just helped me and it helped the people behind me in line and it sure helped the person who was dinging out our our orders you know so maybe they'll help you. These questions actually come from uh, an amazing Death, end-of-life education program called Willow EOL. WillowEOL.com is where you can find out more about that. But with the, the educators at Willow are, are people that I am very deeply connected to and, and learn so much from. So this is, this is part of their work. The first question is, what are your hopes and fears about your legacy, about the legacy that you will leave? It's a really big question, right? Mm-hmm. So that one, just keep that one floating at the back every day. Moment you wake up, moment you go to bed. The next question, though, to help you break it down is when you think about it, what do you think people will remember you for? What do you, sorry, what do you hope people will remember you for? Is the first question. What do you hope people will remember you for? How do you hope that you will be remembered? And then the next question is, do you think that's what you're going to be remembered for? And the last question is, what are you doing? What are you doing every day of your life so that you can align your lived experience with the legacy that you want to leave behind? That last question is what got me to stand down at the grocery store the other day <laughs> and not just make an ugly situation even uglier. Really small. That's not going to be on my tombstone. But it helps me every day in just a check at the back of my head. Is this, is this in alignment? And when it is, an, an aligned life is a beautiful life.
0: Thank you. I love that those questions in and of themselves could be a ritual, the asking of those questions. Um, and you've used such secular language to ask them all. They're questions for us all, but they're also the core questions of our faith. Like, those are the cornerstone. Why do I act the way that I act? And, and how should I? Um, how might I, if I focus on something more?
2: I just want to say thank you I mean I think what you're helping us do one of the things that church should do is invite daydreaming Mm -hmm. and you've invited us to daydream with the questions you've given us and the uh, and some of your story and invite us one of the things that's great about church I hope is that we trust that these are folks we can go deeper with Mm -hmm. either now or later and so uh, the great daydreaming and storytelling and invitation is uh, one of your gifts and I thank you
0: So we have an opportunity to speak with you this afternoon um, at 11.30. Is there anything you want to say just for the folks sitting here that are on the fence as to whether or not they want to come about what you'll be speaking on?
1: You can always leave if you don't like what you're hearing.
0: Perfect. Um, We love a good permission slip.
1: That's Yeah, so that's the first thing. Very Mm -hmm. low stakes here. Um, But I do take an incredibly practical approach to this work. Mm -hmm. And so if there's anyone with questions about... um, huh, I, I've, I've kind of had this to-do list at the back of my head for a while, but I don't really know how to get started, I actually think this hour might really help uh, crystallize things for you. And like I said, if you're just like, this is dumb, then you can go. Okay?
2: I also, I have to say, I don't know if you'll tell us later, but if you, if you Google and listen to the podcasts on, that, you're, that are available, they're fantastic. As an example, people who want to have a green death yeah. And I always thought cremation was the greenest way. But oh no, it's not. I don't even tell them year? what it is.
1: When I come back next year? When yeah. I come back yeah. next yeah. year, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll do that one. Okay, okay. yeah.
2: <laughs> and if, if you ever watched Breaking Bad, it's kind of like that. Uh, but, but really, uh, it, it's a really great chance to answer very practical questions about yeah. death and dying and life and how they all flow together. But listen to the podcast, the yeah. CBC. Uh, Just go to my website.
0: Justapprentice.ca. We'll put it in the happening. Super great. Um, one last question, putting you on the spot. My, my question of the day what would be on your tombstone?
1: She loved her children. Mm. She loved her life.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Krista. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.